Well, another election season has just ended. How'd you do? Not who'd you vote for or did your candidate win? But how, how did you do? Did you let your emotions get the best of you? Anxiety, fear, sadness? What about behaviors? Did you burst into outbursts of anger? Or did you fall to gossip or slander? Now, of course, these questions aren't just for you. These questions are for me as well. But I must admit, I was fairly detached from these elections here in Oregon. I'm just here temporarily. But I remember what I was like a couple of years ago during the last presidential election. I remember how divided I was, how divided our church was, our country, our families. I had a cousin who said that she was not going to attend family functions if she found out that there were relatives attending that same function who voted for the opposing candidate. I know that's pretty extreme, but I recognize some of that in me to some degree. Unless something really tragic or maybe something really good happens, there's going to be another presidential election in a couple of years. So what are we doing now to prepare for that? To make sure that we don't fall into the same traps again? If we can catch a glimpse into what it is that happens in us, maybe we can catch a glimpse of the solution and how it is that we can prepare for it. So we don't get caught off guard, off guard, whether it's a presidential election or any other difficult circumstances in our lives. Now, I don't think we need to invent anything. The answer has already been given to us, to both of those questions. What's the problem? What's the solution? And the answer is in the fullness of Christ, in the fullness of Catholicism. Everything from creation to the fall, to the redemption of Christ, to the blessed Trinity, to the incarnation, the four last things our death, heaven, hell, purgatory, our judgment, our first judgment, our final judgment. We have to penetrate all of these mysteries, and so we can't just do that in a homily or even just coming to Mass on Sundays. We have to make the study of the faith part of our lives so that we grow into them more and more, so that we're not caught off guard in these things. And of course, today the readings sounded a little apocalyptic, didn't they? We heard from the prophet Malachi, Lo, the day is coming, blazing like an oven. And all the warnings of Jesus that the days will come when there will not be left a stone upon a stone that will not be thrown down. Now this actually happens every year around this time because we're coming to the end of the liturgical calendar. So next Sunday will be the very last Sunday of this liturgical year. And that will be the solemnity of Jesus Christ, King of the Universe which already points us to the solution, right? No matter who's president, Jesus Christ is still king. No matter who's governor or anything else, Christ is still king of the universe in our lives. And every year the church brings these readings with apocalyptic notes, elements, tones, to really remind us that Jesus is king and that one day he will come again. In other words, one day things really will end. Now, I don't know when that will be, and Jesus says right here, if anyone tells you that they know, do not follow them. 
So in a few years or in a few months or whenever, there will be another prophecy by somebody, another rapture prediction, and Jesus is telling us, don't follow them, don't listen to them. They don't know. So I don't know either. But I do know that Jesus wants us to be prepared every single day, every moment of our lives, because we don't know when it is. It could be right now, it could be tomorrow, it could be a year from now, or it could be a thousand years from now. So there's a tension there. We have to be prepared for it happening any day, and also we have to live for eternity, as if it were going to, as if our lives were going to go on for many years, decades, centuries. And in so doing, we prepare our lives for eternity, for eternal life. The second reading came from St. Paul, and it was his letter to the Thessalonians. That's a great letter, and there's a lot in there. But I want to focus on a phrase that he writes in another letter to the Philippians, which is more, maybe more directly applicable to something like an election season. And in that letter, he said this, Our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there are two parts of that. Our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. What if we think about it like this? We have two citizenships right now. One in heaven, because St. Paul is writing this to us. By virtue of our baptism, we have a citizenship in heaven. But we also have a citizenship on earth, as we know. What happens when I live primarily out of my citizenship on earth? I think it looks like something like this. I focus on what I need to do to improve my society here on earth, around me. And so I think about what are the principles, the laws, the candidates or the, the politicians or the leaders that have to be in place in order for that society to come about. And so I figure out who those politicians are, and I go and vote for them, and I try to convince other people to vote for them. That's part of what I do if I'm living out of my citizenship on earth primarily. I'm, that's my starting point. So then if someone else is doing the same thing, but for, another, for an opposing candidate or an opposing platform or an opposing party, then they become a threat to me because they're going to prevent me from achieving my goal of implementing an ideal society or even just improving my society. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'll, get, I'll say more about that in a moment. I'm just saying that's just what happens if I'm living primarily out of my citizenship on earth. My main focus is to implement a better society here. And so, of course, I get anxious or fearful about the results because the results are going to influence whether I succeed or not, whether I, I advance towards my goal or not. What if instead I were to focus on my citizenship in heaven and live primarily out of that? I think it looks like something like this. I recognize that Jesus Christ has already come to earth. He has already redeemed us. He has already taken our sins upon himself. And he has already died on the cross he has already risen from the dead, and he has already ascended into heaven. All these things have already happened in history 2,000 years ago. It's well documented everywhere. There's nothing that I need to do, whether in an election season or otherwise, to bring that about. That has already happened. Not only that, 
but he has prepared a place in heaven for me and for every one of us. That place is already there, waiting for us. There is nothing that we need to do or can do to bring that place about, to, to build the kingdom of heaven in heaven. That, that is already built. That's already prepared. That's already there waiting for us. And Christ has laid down his life so that we can join him one day. So we can be with him in heaven for all of eternity. Now, of course, that's not the end of the story, as we know. We need to live our lives in a certain way, which will allow us to join him. So even though those things have already happened, it's not like there's nothing that I need to do. There's nothing that we need to do. There's something that we need to do to get there. And that's something of a paradox. The already and not yet. That's already there waiting for us. But we have the choice to live our lives in a way that will lead us there. Or to live our lives in a way that won't. That's the invitation for us. That's the decision for us. It's not to build a kingdom here on earth but rather to join Christ in heaven. So if we're living out of our citizenship in heaven, we're not primarily focused on how do I implement the perfect society, the ideal society here on earth, but how do I live my life so that I join God in heaven, in God's kingdom in heaven? From here, we realize something. The things to fear are not the election results, are not the political situations, the economic situations. Those are not the things to fear. The things to fear are my own and our own sins. Those are the things that prevent us from joining God in heaven. Our own actions, our own sins, and we recognize that we fall, that we're sinners, that we fall down. Then we fall before Christ and we beg him for mercy. And he forgives us. But that doesn't happen if we're not focusing on them, on our sins. And if we're instead focusing on what are the politicians doing and what are our neighbors doing and who is voting for whom and who, who is going to win the election. St. Augustine, commenting on these readings, said this, we love him, God, yet we fear his coming. Are we really certain that we love him? Or do we love our sins more? You see his point. If we are attached to our sins, that's why we fear his coming. If instead we let go of our sins, if we ask God to remove our sins from our lives, if we ask him for mercy every time we fall, then we don't need to fear his coming. We are already walking the path that he wants us to walk. Now I have a professor in the seminary that says, don't hear what I'm not saying. So I'll say that to you. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we shouldn't vote or that we shouldn't form our consciousness so we vote well or that we shouldn't do good in the world and help others and alleviate suffering and even work to improve our society. We need to do all these things. 
But my point is, if we're living out of our citizenship in heaven, we're doing these things not to bring about the perfect society, but rather to purify ourselves, to perfect ourselves, to become saints ourselves. That's why we do those things. That's why we do good. That's why we love God and love others. And I know that sounds selfish, but just think about it for a moment. Who does more good in the world and for, for the world, for others, and for God? Is it somebody who is really focused on building a perfect society, let's say a social justice warrior? Or is it the saints? Who does more good for God and others? Nobody remembers those politicians that built the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. As arguably the greatest empire that ever existed and which no longer exists. Yet here we are, hearing from Jesus, hearing from the prophet Malachi, hearing from St. Paul, that converted sinner, writing to us from heaven and instructing us how to live our lives so that we can love God, love others, be free of our sins, and join God in heaven for all of eternity. I'll just conclude by encouraging you to join a small group if you haven't already. For the women, there are Bible studies twice a week. I think one is Wednesday morning and one is Thursday evening. And for the men, there is a Bible study or a men's group on Tuesday mornings. Every Tuesday morning they meet. And right now they're going through a program called Living Joy. How to live in joy during all of our seasons in life. And that, you know, real joy, not fluff, not fake happiness, but the joy of Christ. How to live in the joy of Christ. And this week they'll be talking about friendships. Which is, essential, which is essential, isn't it? There's a saying, and they talk about this in the study, that our environment eats us up for breakfast. We can't just will ourselves to do good. Our environment forms us. And our environment, in a sense, are our friends. Who our friends are, they're the influence in our lives. So join a, a small group, and in this way together, we can move forward in the Christian life, Go forward in overcoming our sins and growing in virtue. And in so doing, we'll be prepared to live in whatever circumstances. And finally, we'll be prepared for the end coming, for the second coming. So as we go to the liturgy of the Eucharist, let's just ask God to build the kingdom of God, build his kingdom, but not his kingdom out there in the world and the society, build his kingdom in each one of our hearts.